So I have a confession before I start. I really, I really don't like um, giving introductions like that to be read. They're, they're interesting to me because when you write a bio, you want to sound like you're somebody, <laughs> right? So you put your accolades. It's almost like bragging on yourself. But then you don't want to be that guy that's bragging on himself. So it's like, do I dumb my bio down some? But then if I dumb it down, it's like, will you even be invited? They're like, who is this? <laughs> so bios, bios always make me feel a little, a little weird. So, but thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm so excited. Um, before I start, let's just jump into another word of prayer, and then I'm just going to jump right into the, the text, okay? Father, we just come to you um, thanking you so much for who you are, Father. Thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy, um, for salvation. Lord, I just pray that as we, as we just kind of have a conversation tonight, you be in our midst, Father. Um, I pray that it's not my words, but your words, and that you explain everything clearly, Lord. Uh, we love you. We thank you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. 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 So I have a question first. I'm going to start with a question. Do I have any avid boxing fans in the room? Anyone love boxing? Nobody. No, one person. Okay. One, do I have casual boxing fans? Okay, so... So I'm a casual boxing fan. I don't love it. I'm a football guy, basketball kind of, but casual boxing fan. But I got intrigued when I heard Floyd Mayweather announced last week he's coming out of retirement, right? So I don't know if you know much about boxing. Um, to fight this guy named Connor, um, Connor um, um, McGraw, or not McGraw, McGregor, MMA fighting. So it intrigues me because it's the first time they're trying to set up a, a mixed martial arts fighter with a boxer. So even though I'm not big into boxing, it just intrigues me because it's never been done before. So in all of my time watching boxing, just different matches here and there, I've only seen one fight where I saw the corner stop the fight by throwing in the white towel, right? So even though we don't have any avid boxing fans, we all know what that means when someone throws in the towel. It's, it's kind of become this universal symbol for I surrender, I give up, I quit. Uh, you see it in movies or, or oppositions when they wave the white flag. It's like, I quit. I don't want any more of this fight. Um, of all the boxing fights I've ever seen, I've only seen that happen once. However, um, in all the time I've done ministry, I've seen that happen a lot in life, uh, especially when it comes to the church, people throwing in the white flag on the church, the white towel, saying, hey, this, this whole church thing doesn't really work for me, so I quit. I'm going to give up. I'm going to wave the white flag. I'm going to say, I'm done with all y'all. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing. That was me in college. I, uh, like I said, I grew up at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. I went to school in San Antonio, uh, Trinity University. And after four years of just going kind of crazy, I was like, I don't really feel like doing this church thing when I moved back to Dallas. Matter of fact, I, I told a friend, I said, when I graduated, I'm never moving back to Dallas. And if I do move, I'm never going back to church, especially Oak Cliff. <laughs> And that's exactly what I did. I graduated, couldn't get a job, had to move in with my parents, went straight back to Oak Cliff. Um, but it's my contention that a lot of people give up on church because we don't, we don't know what it is. Uh, we, we've been raised with this false definition, this false idea of what church is. And so a lot of us quit on church. We throw in the white flag. So tonight, I just kind of want to walk us through what does Jesus have to say about the church? What is the church? Um, and what's its purpose? What's the mission? Why do we do this? Okay, so in, in theology, in seminary, they teach you this thing called the rule of first mention. Has anyone heard of that? Rule of first mention? 
what it means is that whenever you want to study a subject, go to the first time it's ever mentioned in the Bible, and that'll give you some understanding of its original intent. So the first time the word church is used in Scripture, and this is where we're going to kind of hang out tonight, is Matthew chapter 16. Um, so if you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew chapter 16. This is the first time we see the word church used in the Bible. So I'll just um, go ahead and tell this, this, this story. So Jesus says, hey, who does, who does everybody say that I am? And the disciples are saying, well, some say you're like this prophet. You know, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. They're just, they say you're like this prophet or that prophet. Then Jesus flips the question and says, okay, that's what everybody says about me, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. He does the confession, right? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, that's when Jesus um, says, blessed are you, Simon Berjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who was in heaven, verse 17, verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church. That's the first time we ever see the word church in scripture. It's used by Jesus here. Now, the word in Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Now, if you were in Jerusalem during this time, um, this word was common. You would have heard this all over the place, the ekklesia. Um, ekklesia, in its original context, didn't mean church that we know it. Okay, the, the definition of ekklesia are citizens called out of their homes to gather in a public place and assembly for the purpose of deliberation. Okay, it's kind of a weighty definition. I'll say it again. It's citizens who are called out of their homes into a public place to gather, so like an assembly, for the purpose of deliberation. Uh, we see the word used a lot in scripture um, when it talks about men who were gathering at the gates. You ever see that phrase, they gathered at the gates? Uh, the, the gates back then were kind of like, um, it would be like where city hall was. It would be like the, the civil government, the courts. It was a place where the men would gather to interpret laws of the times. Uh, they would gather to deliberate on issues. So when disputes arose, they would kind of, you know, view the disp dispute, look at all the sides, kind of make a decision. It was, it was at the gates where these men would gather and they would deliberate on life's important issues or important issues of the culture, of the society. All right, so you with me? It, it's, it's, we see it, um, Acts 19 is a beautiful example. Uh, Paul is it's doing evangelism. He's doing his mission work with two other companions. Uh, the people they're evangelizing to, they're just messing up all their stuff, right? So they're saying, hey, there's the true God, Jesus Christ, not all these other false idols. And people are getting mad. So they drag Paul's two companions, it says, to the ecclesia, the assembly. And what it is is the assembly then is now listening to all the disputes, and they're going to pass judgment on these two men. They're deliberating on these men. So what we get from the ecclesia, the way, and, and the Bible, Jesus uses words, it's not by accident, right? So we believe that the Bible's inspired. So Jesus picks this word very specifically when he says, I'm going to build my ecclesia. We've dumbed down, me and Sue were talking about it earlier, we've, we've dumbed down church now to a building. Um, even the way we talk, right? I'm going to church. Hey, how was church service? Uh, you know, the message was okay, right? I didn't really like praise and worship. I didn't like that song we sung at church. We, we, I mean, we hear people use this kind of language, right? And have these type of conversations. But Jesus uses this word to say, the church is bigger than a building, and it's more than a two-hour worship service. 
Um, it's more than even a place for prayer, because we hear people argue that. Uh, it, it's, it's more than, than the men's ministry or the women's ministry. It's more than youth and children and all these programs that we associate with church. He says, it's the ecclesia. It's the place where my, my people are supposed to gather to deliberate on life's pressing issues. Um, the Bible says that we've been called out of darkness and into the light. So we've been called out, right? We're citizens of a different kingdom. We've been called out, and we're supposed to gather together. And the thing that gets missed is we don't gather together just to do nothing. We don't, we don't gather together just to have a good time, um, to sing a few songs, to give up two hours out of our night or whatever it may be. We're supposed to gather to deliberate on life's pressing issues. And we've kind of missed that part of the church. What this means is that, um, especially right now in, 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 in society, there's all these hot topics. Um, immigration's one, we talked about that. That's all over the place, right? One side is saying this, one side is saying that. Racism, race relations, um, uh, gender identification. All these issues are popping up. What the assembly is supposed to do is take those issues, bring them uh, uh, to, the, to the ecclesia, Put those issues on the backdrop of authority, which is God's word, and then make a deliberation. So I understand what the politicians are saying about immigration, but what does Jesus say about it? I understand what, what they say about race relations, but what does, what does God say about race? What does God say about womanhood and manhood and parenting and sexuality and any issue that we can think of? The point of deliberating is saying we take an issue that, that's kind of hot, a hot topic or it's hot on our mind, we bring it to the gathering, to the assembly, to the ecclesia. We put it against the Bible, the authority, and then what we do is we make our deliberation. Now, once we make our deliberation, we don't just keep it to ourselves. That's the other problem with the church. We gather, and then that's all we do, right? We hear great inspirational messages. We get taught, but then that's where the teaching ends. Um, the ecclesia is supposed to function um, um, like an embassy. Think embassy, right? So um, any of you guys ever travel like overseas? Anybody? Okay, I've only been once to Jamaica. That's because my parents paid for my honeymoon. So I haven't been overseas since. <laughs> but anytime you go overseas, um, the nation you go to typically is going to have an embassy of other countries there. So let's say I'm in Russia. In Russia, there's going to be a United States embassy. Uh, this is why you see it on like action movies. If I ever break the law in Russia, it's in my best interest to haul as fast as I can to get to that embassy. Um, you see it on, um, like, Taken. I love that movie because I have daughters now, so. Um, it does something, and they're, they're flying, and they're, they, you know, they jump the curve and crash through the fence because, and the reason why, once they cross the embassy, the gate line, Russia's laws no longer apply. So, so the embassy, even though it's in a foreign nation, uh, uh, the United States laws apply in the United States embassy, even though it's in Russia. So the embassy is really a little bit of the United States, a long way from the United States. The church is designed to be that. The church is designed to be a little bit of heaven, a long way from heaven. And the problem is, um, when we come into the gates, when we gather as the ecclesia, the rules of our culture should no longer apply to us. When we come, we're switching into a different kingdom. Now, the church loses its effectiveness when we don't carry that mindset. A lot of us are bringing in the culture into the gathering. We bring in our background into the gathering. The way we were raised, we bring that into the gathering. And then we no longer go by authority of Scripture. We start going by 
the rules of the land. And when that happens, the embassy is no longer the embassy. But the whole point of the church being the embassy, uh, Peter, I think it's 2 Peter, says that we are ambassadors of Christ. So when we deliberate as the ecclesia, we're supposed to take that deliberation and then go be a messenger for Jesus Christ. So we're supposed to take that message back to our homes, back to our jobs, back to our schools, back to some of us come from broken families, uh, uh, broken relationships. Wherever we go, we're supposed to take the message that we gathered or that we got from the gathering, the ecclesia, and we take that out into culture, into society. You with me? That doesn't work, though, when we view the church just as a building or a campus. Prestonwood, you have a beautiful campus. And if you've never traveled the nation, this is unusual. <laughs> you, you, and, and if you leave the Bible Belt in general, you know, like you said, I get to travel with Dr. Evans. Go to places like New York, uh, Seattle. They don't have this. This is foreign. But the point is, if we dumb church down to just this campus, to multiple buildings, a school and all that, you miss the point. That the church isn't the buildings. You are the church. Amen. You are the ecclesia. I am the ecclesia. We have been called out of this world to gather together for deliberating. That's the whole purpose. Now, from this text, we get something else um, that Jesus describes um, that makes the church more plain to us. Uh, remember, he says, who does everybody say that I am? Okay, some say you're like this prophet, like you're like that prophet. Okay, well, who do you say that I am? Now, in Greek, you don't see it here, but in Greek... The you was plural. So who do y'all, we're Texans, who do y'all say that I am, right? So he's talking to the 12 disciples. Who do y'all say that I am? Peter speaks up. So then Jesus' answer now turns to Peter, and he starts having this conversation with Peter, but he's in front of all the other disciples. You can't miss that. So he doesn't take Peter out of the room and then has a sidebar conversation. He's talking to Peter, but in front of everybody else. Uh, Peter says... You are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm Simon Peter. I'm sorry. Simon says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18, I also say to you, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So Jesus, uh, after Peter's confession, Jesus changes Peter's name, Simon's name. All right? Anytime in scripture where Jesus changes your name, he's saying he's rewriting your destiny. You see it with Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. And every time he does that, it's because there's a spiritual lesson involved. And he's showing you, hey, I have a bigger destiny for you. Um, he changes Simon's name to Peter. Peter in Greek is Petros. Petros. Petros means a detached stone or a rock. Okay? And I say to you that you are Petros, a rock. And upon this Petra, I'm going to build my church. This is where Jesus does a pun of words here. He puts a pun on it. Uh, we don't see it in the English because rock and Peter are the same in English. In Greek, they're two different words. Um, I'm going to build, I'm going to change your name to Petros, rock, but on this Petra, I'm going to build my church. Petra is connected rocks that build a cliff. That's the definition of Petra, okay? Uh, I'm going to change your name to rock, but what I'm about to do with my church is bigger than one person, is what Jesus is saying. You're a stone now, Peter. You're going to be my leader. Um, we know Peter is the leader of the disciples because every time the list is mentioned, he's always first. Look, look in the Gospels. Peter's always first. Peter typically always speaks up first. 
Peter gets to experience things the other disciples don't. He's always with Jesus for the transfiguration, for different stuff. Peter's like the leader, the spokesperson. Um, in our language, he's like the senior pastor. <laughs> he, he's that guy. But Jesus says, even though I'm going to change your destiny to be that guy, what I'm about to build, the ecclesia, is bigger than a guy. It's a bunch of connected stones that builds a cliff. And part of that is that the, the, the cliff, the unit as a whole, is bigger than one stone could ever be on its own. And the lesson I think we got to get out of that is that um, we have to stop putting our leaders up on these gigantic pedestals. Um, again, Preston Wood, you guys are blessed because Dr. Graham is a monster, <laughs> spiritually. I mean, he, he is a brilliant leader. He knows the word. He's a man of integrity. His vision is clear. I mean, I've sat under Dr. Evans. These, these men, like I said, are, they're, they're not typical. It's not like the U.S. is just full of these men. Um, but we have to realize we're all part of the Petra. And see, a lot of us throw our pastors up on these pedestals. And then, so you have beautiful churches like this. And the only reason some people come to this church is because of Dr. Graham. They're not connected to the rock. They're only connected to a man. So when Dr. Graham decides one day he's going to retire, like Dr. Evans, they're getting up there in age a little bit, that's when people leave. And it's like, how could you leave? Why? You're, just, you're only coming to church because of one guy? It's because they don't understand. Um, Jesus says what I'm doing is bigger than one person. It's, it's, it's bigger than a man. And it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how talented you are, what I'm doing is a collection of a lot of rocks that build something that's greater than one person could ever be if they're on their own. Remember, Petros is detached. It's a detached stone. Petra is a collection of rocks. And like I said, Jesus earlier says, the church is the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. We are the church. Then he says, upon all of us is what he's going to build. Jesus is describing the church like a cliff, um, I like looking at how Paul describes the church. Okay? You don't have to flip there unless you want to, but keep your finger because I'm going to come back to Matthew. But, um, and Paul does this a few places, Corinthians, but I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus likens the church to a cliff, right? He says the ecclesia, the petra is what I'm building. It's a, it's a bunch of rocks connected that build a cliff. Um, Paul is going to describe the church as a body. Okay, I'm going to start at 4, verse 11, and I'm going to read. It's kind of lengthy, but I'm going to read the whole thing. He says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in, every, uh, to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay, that's very lengthy. It's a lot right there. Um, Jesus says the church, the ecclesia, is like a cliff. Paul is saying the ecclesia is like a body where all the parts fit together and every individual part make up a body. The interesting thing about Ephesians 4 is that Paul introduces the idea of discipleship within the context of the church. 
Okay, so he's speaking about the body of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, but then he introduces this idea of discipleship. Um, he says he gave them parts, members of the body, some as uh, pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping up of the saints, um, the building up of Christ, so that we can become um, uh, mature men, the fullness of Christ, no longer swayed by by every doctrine. You see the language he's using here? He's calling, he's, he's calling the body to maturity. Okay? This is what, what if, if, if discipleship is introduced into this context of the church, the question is, what is discipleship? What is a disciple? A disciple, by Greek definition, just means a student. I mean, simple definition. A disciple is a pupil or a student. Within the way the Bible describes a disciple, Specific to Christianity, it means a committed follower of Jesus Christ. A committed follower of Jesus Christ. Is, is, it's the way you would define a disciple. So then discipleship is the process of taking a, let's say, a casual fan of Jesus and walking them to becoming a committed follower, right? Y'all with me there? The difference? I would say Jesus has a lot of fans right now. Right? It would be like, um, um, you know, I'm a millennial guy, so I'm all over social media. I have um, not a lot, you know, I'm not that important, but I got maybe 800 people that follow me on Instagram. I got more on Facebook or whatever, right? Let's say I have 1,000 people on Facebook. I'm somewhere like 1,300. Um, there are a lot of people that follow me on Facebook that I have no idea who they are, but I definitely don't have their phone number and they don't have my number. They follow me, but our relationship isn't that close. It's different if you're my friend and I have your number, right? See, Jesus has a lot of fans, but Jesus don't have their number. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say by discipleship, is that a lot of people want to be casual fans of Jesus. We want to be in the vicinity of Jesus, but he says that's not a disciple. A disciple is a committed follower of me. And Peter or Paul here is introducing this idea of discipleship and saying that the whole purpose of the church, the whole mission of the church is to create disciples. It is to, to mature us in our faith so that we become mature followers of Jesus Christ. I also get that from the Great Commission. Do you guys know the Great Commission? Right? A lot of us can quote it, Matthew 28, 19. Uh, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, um, teaching them all that I have commanded, and lo, I will be with them always, even to the end of the age, right? We use that a lot, the church, for evangelism. I see that a lot on evangelism ministries. I think that um, there are better verses for evangelism than the Great Commission. I believe the Great Commission has to deal with making disciples. This is why. In Greek... There's only one command in that verse, and it's not to go. Go is not an imperative in the Greek. The command is it's translated kind of funny to English. Um, the command in Greek is to make disciples. That's the only call to action out of the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. Go in the Greek is a participle, which means go supports the action of making the disciple. So, so follow me. A lot of us use this as a commission to go out and to evangelize. Jesus is saying this is a commission to go out and make disciples. And he's speaking to his disciples, which means he's speaking to the ecclesia because the disciples are the ecclesia. So he's telling the church, he's telling those who have been called out, remember, to gather, 
to deliberate. He's telling them, hey, what I want you to do now is to make disciples. How do you make disciples? You go, you baptize, you teach. You go, you have to evangelize to make disciples. You have to be saved, right, to become a disciple. So you have to go and evangelize. You baptize, right? So there's this identification with the faith now. And then you teach. Why do you teach? Because you have to mature them in their growth. You have to mature them um, in their walk with Christ. Um, like my boss said, I work for the Urban Alternative. The Urban Alternative. I'm the director of media. What we do, we're, we're a national broadcast ministry, right? So um, kind of the process, Dr. Evans will, will tomorrow morning, he's going to preach a sermon. And I have no idea what he's preaching about tomorrow. Um, but he's going to preach a sermon. We're going to capture that audio. We're going to get a master copy, a CD. It's going to say master, date, information on it. At TUA, in the back of our, our facility, we have an operations room where we're going to stick that master into what we call slave units, okay? The slave unit is going to rip 25 copies of the master in about five minutes. So five minutes, we have a master, and now we have 25 copies. Uh, people all over the world are going to order that message, and we're going to mail them out. Now, if I order the, the message, and if I get it and play it, it's going to sound identical to the master. Um, it's going to look like the master. It's going to have the same information on it that the master has. It's going to be so like the master that I couldn't tell if it was the master or if it's just a copy. There's no way for me to tell. That's what discipleship should look like. It's we are called to be copies of the master. We're, we're called to be copies of Jesus Christ to the point where we look so much like Jesus, we talk so much like Jesus, we think so much like Jesus that people are like, they can't tell us apart. Now, the copy will never be the master. We'll never be Jesus. But to the world, we should look so much like his followers, they can't tell the difference. The problem is that a lot of Christians don't look like Jesus anymore. And the reason why they don't look like Jesus is because they're not disciples. They're just fans. They have no intention to growing into going deeper in their relationship with Christ. They're content just with the language that we used earlier. I just go to church. It's tradition, right? I was raised by my parents. I was. Every Sunday morning, we went to church. And like I said, when I threw in the towel, I'm just like, I'm sick of this. We, we just go to church. I have this idea that I am the church. I don't, I'm not just going to church. I'm the church whether I'm at the building or I'm at home or I'm at school or the grocery store, the movie theater. I am the church. And if, and if the, 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 the context of the church is a call to discipleship, it's a call to maturity, and that's what Paul is saying. Now, it starts with the church leadership. He says, I gave uh, some as pastors and some as teachers. Why? The whole point of leadership of the church, the ecclesia, is to equip everybody else for good works. That is the model. It's discipleship. So a church should be committed, the leader should be committed to growing people. We're going to grow you up in your faith. We're going to equip you to do good works. And yeah, there's, there's the counseling. That's part of it. There's, there's the, you know, you, 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 there's the inspiration and motivation. That's part of it. But as a leader, especially at Restoration, my church, if I'm not in the business of growing people and helping them mature, now it's the Holy Spirit's job. We, we know that. It's not, I can't grow anybody, but I have to facilitate the process. And if I'm not interested in that, then I have no business being a leader. And, and no pastor should call themselves a pastor. No teacher of a church should call themselves a teacher if, if they're not interested in seeing people mature in their faith. Now, the reason why I spent so much time in Matthew, though, 
is this. Um, it starts with the leadership, but remember, we all are the church, which means you should be very interested in two things. One, you should be interested in becoming a disciple yourself, which means maturing in your own faith. And two, you should be highly interested in discipling somebody else. Meaning you should be very interested in saying, who can I point to in my life that I can help facilitate their growth because I'm a little bit more mature than they are. Um, another reason why we've gotten this church thing wrong is because a lot of people have sat back and we just say, hey, I want the church leadership to do everything. So when you have a church, this, how many members is Prestonwood? A lot. So Oak, Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff, give or take, is like 10,000 on roster. Now, we know, we know there's a lot of people on roster that shouldn't be. Prestonwood's bigger than Oak Cliff <laughs> by a lot. So think about this. Let's just say, let's, we're going we're gonna to give you all a low. Let's say 15. That's low. How much? 18. Whew. Okay, 18, right? So, so imagine that many people sitting back and saying, we want the leadership to do everything. That, that, I mean, I mean, really think about that. Hey, we want y'all to teach. We want y'all to provide. So, so when I need benevolence, you know, give me some money. Um, we want you guys to sing. We want you to set up, provide some food, provide a place for my kids, teach my, my son, teach my daughter, counsel my marriage. I mean, think about all the demands. But then when we have this attitude that it's only the leadership's job, we miss it because we are the ecclesia. You are the church which means we have to learn this word called participation. That it's everybody's responsibility to disciple somebody else. Because there's always going to be somebody in your life and in this, this local body, there's always going to be someone who's less mature than you. So you get to say, you know what, I'm going to pour my life into you. Um, we were talking earlier before we started, and I don't, I don't know if, if you said, I can't remember, but they, they said, wow, Ron, you've had some great men in your life. And I said, I have. I've had my father, first and foremost, um, Dr. Evans, who I sat under for, like I said, I was eight, and then Von Miner, who was my mentor since I was 15. And all three of those men, guess what they did? They poured all of their experiences into me. My dad taught me and, and tried to get me from not making all the mistakes he made. Von walked with me and, and poured into me. Dr. Evans did. They didn't do that. It would, it, would be, it, would be a, a, um, it would be a disgrace if they poured all that into me and then I, what I do is I bottle it up and it's just Ryan. I'm not going to share my water with anybody. It's just me. The problem is when Ryan dies, my water doesn't go with me. So it's wasted. The whole point of discipleship, remember, is to, is, is to make carbon copies. So I was poured into, and there's more men, but, but you know, those three. And then it's my job to pour all that information that I accumulated and the stuff that God took me through on my own, and I'm pouring that into somebody else. We all have to get into this mindset of we're going to be disciples ourselves, we're going to mature in our own walk, and then we're going to find somebody else that we can pour into if we want to be the ecclesia. Um, the reason why a lot of people want to be the ecclesia the church, and, and they don't want to deal with this discipleship thing is because discipleship costs, right? There, there's a cost to be a committed follower of Jesus. Um, all, all through the Gospels, and, and I've, been, I've been reading my, my quiet times, I've been Matthew, Mark, I haven't gotten to Luke yet, I'm in Mark still. 
Um, and I didn't even know I was going to be teaching on this, so, so it's just amazing. But Matthew and Mark, I'm, I'm amazed at all the times where um, it cost somebody something to go follow Jesus. Started with the disciples. They, jokers left their fishing businesses, right? Um, Matthew left his tax job, career. Um, said that people were leaving their brothers and sisters, their, their mothers and fathers. Jesus said, hey, leave them and follow me. Leave that and follow me. And the one that really hurts is, is pick up your cross and follow me. Bear your cross and follow me. Take a, it says it three or four different unique ways. It's the same idea. Pick this up. It's not going to be pleasant. It's going to cost you something, but pick it up and follow me. And what Jesus is saying is you can't not pick it up and think you're going to be a committed follower. Because my relationship with you is going to cost you something. Um, and a lot of people don't want to pay that cost. Right? Now, now, this is beautiful. You guys are paying it. It's a Saturday night. And, and you can be spending your Saturday evening doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> right? Um, as a matter of fact, a lot of people are tonight. And you're saying, you know what? I'm going to pay that cost. I'm going to give up that hour or two hours to meet with the, the, the brothers and sisters of Christ. Right? That's a cost. But, but if you're going to follow Jesus, you know, there might be some physical costs. Um, we know the church overseas is experiencing that. And people are getting their heads cut off to follow Jesus. Um, we're, we're going to have some financial costs. I know people that have lost their job for integrity. I know, I know people that had to turn down jobs for integrity. Uh, emotional costs, you know, some tears, some long nights, some lonely nights. Relationship costs. I've lost family members over this faith. Severed relationships. All of us have, right? Um, if you're a disciple, you have. And so if you look over your life and if you can't point to something that your faith cost you, I would question, are you a disciple? And, and that's none of my business or anyone else's business. That's for you to look at your own life and say, hey, what, what has this walk, what has this relationship cost me to say that I'm going to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ? I'm amazed at what will, what will pay for other things. I was a personal trainer for a little bit. Um, I was amazed at what people will go through to transform their body. Like, people will spend a lot of money. <laughs> uh, the, the fitness industry, and cosme it's like a $40 billion industry, cosmetics, all that. People will, will cut themselves, surgeries. People will go on these crazy, I'm going to eat dirt and drink water diets. <laughs> people will do crazy stuff. They'll pay these costs. Why? Because there's this value that comes out of it. I've seen people do some, I worked in corporate America for about six or seven years before I moved into ministry. And I saw people do some crazy stuff to move up the ladder. I mean, I, I saw some very unethical stuff. <laughs> um, I've, I've seen just some attitudes that were crazy. Um, why? Because the cost that they were willing to pay, they said there was something that was valuable on the other side of it. The reason why we won't commit to discipleship is because we don't know what's valuable on the other side of it. And Jesus gives us the answer in that same text in Matthew. Um, so, so I'm back in the original text. He says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that doesn't sound a lot on the surface. We're like, it sounds kind of nice, but what is it? Um, if we get this concept right, I think most of us will be willing to pay the cost for discipleship. Keys here represents authority and access. Okay? Authority and access. Just like I said, there was a cost um, in, in the Gospels to following Jesus. Look at, especially the book of Matthew and Mark, Jesus displays authority over everything, right? So he has authority over sin. 
He has authority over sickness, authority over disease, authority over demons, authority over death, authority over religious rulers. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? It's authority. Um, authority is different than power. We confuse the two a lot. Uh, power is like, I have my CHL, so every now and then I'll have a 45 on my waist. Every now and then, okay? Um, that's power. A gun, that bullet, that's power. However, I can't walk into any place with my gun. There's certain places I can't get into, or I mean, I'll get arrested pretty quick, right? Now, a cop can have that same power on his, on his waist, but he can walk into those places I can't. We have the same power, he just has different authority. You see what I'm saying? We can't equate the two. We have, it's like Satan. Satan has power. We can't confuse that. Satan don't have no authority over us. Authority is the final say on anything. And Jesus displays that final say over every circumstance and situation that pops up in the Gospels. But then what he does multiple times, he tells the disciples, the same authority I have, you have, go out and do the same things that I just did. So we see the disciples in Matthew, they're casting out demons now. These, these fishermen and tax collectors, these misfits, they're casting out demons. They're raising people from the dead. They're, they're, they're doing all these miracles. Why? Because Jesus gave them authority. Um, access... It's a little bit different. Access, you know, I was in, um, two weeks ago, I was in Orlando for the National Religious Broadcasting Convention, big word, NRB. Um, I'm out in the lobby Tuesday night with a coworker, and we're making dinner plans. I said, you know what, his name is Pearl, it's one of the, the guys at TUA. I said, hey, let's go to the steak restaurant. Um, let's meet there at six, because we have to be somewhere at night. So let's meet there at six, it's four o'clock. I said, okay, I'm gonna go jog real quick. Um, it's four o'clock. I'm gonna go to my room. I'm gonna jog. I get to my room. I'm standing in front of my door. And you know, when you lose your keys, how you pat like everything, like I don't even have pockets. I'm like, how would my keys be right here? But I'm just, I'm patting everywhere trying to find my room key because I can't find it. I've lost my room key. Now I'm standing outside my, my hotel uh, room. Everything on the other side of that door is mine. My clothes are in there. My laptop's in there. I have books. I have jewelry. I have some gifts. I bought my girls. Um, I, just, I have a bunch of stuff that's all mine. The problem is, if I don't have the keys, I don't have access to the things that are already mine. They're already mine. I don't have to buy, buy them, don't have to pay for them, don't have to try to work for them. The issue is I don't have the keys to open up the door to get the things that belong to me. Um, Second Peter says that everything God is gonna do for us, uh, specifically Second Peter 1.3, now some of you are taking notes. Everything God is going to do for us in this life concerning holiness and godliness, he's already done. So, in other words, there's nothing God is going to do for you that he already hasn't done. The issue is we don't have access to what he's already done. So, everything God is going to do for you to live a victorious life in him, he's already done. But if we're not a disciple, if we're not a part of the connected body of Christ, we don't have the keys. It's the keys tied in with discipleship, tied in with the ecclesia, the church, that gives us access to everything God's already going to do for us to live a victorious lifestyle. And it's the authority that we have over our situations where we don't have to walk around as Christians being defeated all the time. Like it's sad when we see all these, especially the, the Bible Belt, right, in the South, there's, there's a church on like every corner. And the crazy part then is how is, how is it everyone's depressed, everyone has these issues, even Christians walk around the church like no one's smiling, it's like life is just beating everybody down. It's like, how are we that defeated as believers when the Bible says Jesus gave us victory? 
The cross gave us victory. Um, and the reason why is because a lot of us don't have keys to the kingdom. So we don't have the access to the things that God says. I've already, I, why are you praying about this, Ryan? I've already done it for you. Start, start being a committed follower and then I'll, I'll open the door for you. I'll give you the keys. But when I don't want to be committed, and a lot of times I don't, because there's a lot of things that, you know, again, I'm kind of a young guy, so, so I, can, I can tell on myself and, and I'm not ashamed, but there's some things that I see and I'm like, I don't know if I'm willing to pay that. I, I, I hear stories of other pastors and other men and women of the faith, and I'm like, their faith is crazy. Because <laughs> if I was in that circumstance, I don't know if Ryan would pay that cost. Like, am I, Ryan, are you that committed of following Jesus Christ? Sometimes I say yes. Sometimes I say I don't know. And then I wonder, I wonder if some of the stuff that I'm dealing with personally is because I don't have those keys. I don't have access to the things God says, Ryan, I've, I've given you victory for godliness in this area. But since you don't want to be committed to me, I can't give you that key for that door. And the stuff on the other side of the door has my name on it. But you can't get it if you don't have the keys. So if we understood this, this concept, I think, of authority and access, um, and we as, as the, 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 the connected body of believers, the Christ, uh, the ecclesia, the church, I think you would see a lot of different attitudes. I, th I think we would see victories, testimonies, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We would, we would hear of God's goodness in our lives and God's grace and God's mercy. Um, but I think because we have such a bad view of the church, we're not operating the way that Christ set the church up to be. And it's not until we get back to, I think, a biblical model of the church where we realize the church is not a building. It's not a two-hour worship service with music and scripture, and there's going to be a guy who gives us an inspirational message. Um, it, it, it's, it's not all these programs and ministries that we've developed, and those are all great, so I'm not just trying to, I'm not trying to be a killjoy and just beat down. Those are great, but it's more than that. And if we don't get to that mindset, um, collectively as the body, the ecclesia, then the leaders, because you have a lot of leaders that I don't think are worthy of the title, and, and that's, that's including me on some days. <laughs> um, <clears throat> if we don't get back to this view of the ecclesia, then we miss out on discipleship, which is maturity in Christ. And, and, and let, me, let me throw this in, and then I'm wrapping up. I'm keep looking at the clock. So um, maturity and discipleship have nothing to do with age. I just, I got to throw that out there. It doesn't matter if we are 13, 23, 36, 87, whatever your age is. Maturity, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing. Um, my dad used to tell me, stop acting like a kid when I hit certain ages, right? Like 17, you know, especially when you, get into, you think you're grown, you know, I was 18, like, it's my, you know, don't tell me what to do. And, and every now and then I would do kid stuff. And my dad would say, stop acting like a kid. If you, if you think you're grown, stop acting like a kid. Um, that has nothing to do with age. Maturity isn't age driven. It, it, it's how we act. And, and so if we're going to be the victorious body of Christ, the way that Jesus set it up, then we have to go back to this mindset of discipleship, which means we have to view the church differently. It's, it's I'm not going to church, I am the church. 
I'm not going just to be a, 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 a witness, just a person that sits there from the stands and looks. I'm going to participate. You know, I'm not going for my blessing. I'm going to be a blessing. It, it's a different perspective when we gather together. And so it's not always about me, 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 and things that I need. It's about how can I be that for somebody else? And when we all have that mindset, guess what? Everybody's getting touched. Everybody gets their blessing. Everybody gets their encouragement. Everybody's going to get prayed for. Everybody's going to get admonished because sometimes those discipleship conversations are hard. (laughs) You know, everybody gets those things when everybody raises up to be the body of Christ that Jesus said that he was going to build his church on. It's the connected rocks that are together, the ecclesia, that he says, when, when, when my church acts like my church, then the gates of hell can't stand against it. But when my church doesn't act like my church, then, then we get what well, we get today in society where we have all these churches and we still have all these problems. We have all this tension. We have all this disunity, all this arguing and all this angst. It's because the body of believers are acting like the body of believers. So, so what I want to do then is just, just pray real quick, and I'm, I'm done, you know. Um, and I want to pray for two things, and, and, and this is the same message I'm giving to my church tomorrow. So, um, but it's two things. One is that I pray for all of us to commit to discipleship. You know, so, some of us um, play with church. You know, we just, we, we don't have a good view of it. So I'm just going to go to church, and it's tradition, and um, every Sunday I show up in church, but my life doesn't look any different. So I want to pray that we all commit to discipleship. But then my second prayer is that if you're in this room and you are a mature, committed believer, then my challenge to you and my prayer for you is to grab somebody else and pour into them if you're not. Because we have a lot of um, fatherless boys out here. And we have a lot of young teenage girls who are confused. And, and they're, they're being preyed upon by the world. And same with the boy. We just... And I'm not even talking about age. I'm talking about grown men who never had another man in his life to say, you know, teach you anything. And so, and so you have grown men who act like boys still and who could use you if you're mature enough to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, like Paul said in Corinthians, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. If you don't know how to do it, just, just follow me. I'm going to grab you. I'll walk with you. I'm going to pay that cost to disciple you, but follow me as I follow Christ. And that's my prayer for all of us uh, tonight, is that we commit to Jesus Christ, but then we grab somebody else's hand and we make another copy of Jesus Christ. We make those discipleships. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you so much, Lord, first and foremost, that you are so extremely patient with us, um, with me, first and foremost, Lord, that... Uh, when we decided to throw in the towel on the church and quit, you didn't throw in the towel on us. Um, you were patient with us, and you loved us enough to give us um, second, third, fourth, fifth, a billion different chances, Father. So thank you. It's my prayer tonight that everybody in this room commits to discipleship, starting with me, starting with the leaders, Father, um, that we commit to growing in you, that we don't, it's not enough for us just to play church. To, to, to use language that you didn't use. I'm going to come to church and just sit down and do nothing. Help us to have a different perspective of the ecclesia, Father, of, of the called out ones. Um, and not just the leaders, Father, but then everybody else. That it doesn't matter how old we are or how young we are in this room, Father. 
we always, always, always still have room to grow in our faith and then room to grow in the way we walk our faith out. And then not just that, Father, but for those who are mature in the room, I pray that you send people in our lives, Father, um, that we can grab and we can pour into the same way that Paul poured into Timothy and Barnabas and so many other people, that he didn't hoard all the experiences and information that he had about you, Father, but he took that stuff and taught somebody else. So it's my prayer, Father, that we can grab somebody and tell that person, follow Christ or follow me as I follow Christ, Lord. And if we do that, my prayer is that you just give us victory in our lives, Lord, over all of our circumstances, over all the issues that we're dealing with today, Father, that you allow us to have authority and access to the kingdom because we decided to commit to you. We love you. Uh, be with us the rest of this evening, Father. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.